Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Vitaly Vladimirov. That's right. I nailed that. Good job. <laughs> How are you today? Fantastic. Yeah? Just a little cold. It's a, it's, it's a weird temp, you know? I feel like I've probably said this on the show a lot by now, that I love the cold weather, but... It got real cold today. Mm-hmm. Please don't knock that off into the world. I'm trying not to. <laughs> My, uh, for those listening at home, the microphone that I normally use is propped up on a in a milk crate. Like the cable for it is in between a hole and a milk crate, and I'm I, I'm trying to get it just to the the golden spot. T- today's motto is adapt, improvise, overcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Egg. Exactly. Oh man. No, it's like it's cold enough today that I made the drink special at first sip. I made it my my comfort drink that I make at home because I was like I just today's the day that I just want to make this all day for myself and be justified, mm. which is English breakfast tea, honey, hot milk and nutmeg. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, it's, well, it's delicious. What a segue! Because isn't that what where y'all met? Yeah, so I'd love to talk about. Um, so the the origin of Vitelli coming on today is that I posted looking for someone to talk to, and he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to come on." And so, um, yeah, would you mind um, talking a little bit about your pop up museum? Yeah, so uh, we met when first it had its opening Mm -hmm. party and um there i continued this project that i have been working on um, called the argyle museum of memories and the concept is to capture memories and recollections and history and stories and just bits odd bits and anecdotes of what i think is a really special place here in chicago Um, and it's a place that is my home but also a place that i wrote my master's project on which Mm -hmm. is the quote, Asian Argyle Mm -hmm. community here in Uptown. Um, And so this museum was me wanting to share all this research that I had done on this place and wanting to educate people about its history and wanting to engage people and and really share just how multi-layered this history is and how fragile it all is and how how much of it is really at risk of being displaced, especially right now, um, as the neighborhood just very quickly gentrifies and changes and the dynamics that in the neighborhood of a lot of investment coming in and so this idea really came to me to publicize this history to engage just passers-by people who um, come here to shop to eat to buy who have been coming here for years or who are brand new Um, and it's been a really interesting project that's really Mm -hmm. cool um and you know as how long have you lived in the argyle neighborhood it has been, I've, I've not lived here long, actually. Um, I've only lived here for just over three years. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always lived up in and around this neighborhood. And mm-hmm. actually, when I first moved to Chicago, I remember um, I was living in Edgewater. And I I, I, I remember coming, I, I was really sick of every all the food that I was eating. And I told myself, I'm going to learn how to make something new. And I wanted to learn to make pad thai. And I remember my very first memory of coming to Argyle was coming to Tainam, the grocery store here. And I told myself I would not leave until I had all the ingredients. And I didn't know um, that um, bamboo shoots are not a grocery item. I, I w- was looking in the grocery aisles, looking for bamboo shoots, not re- knowing that it's something that comes in cans. Mm. <laughs> oh. So um, so that was my very first memory of Argyle. And these are exactly actually the kinds of memories that I was soliciting from people in my project. Um, so, you know, in the three years that I've lived here, three or so, um, I've really become really embedded in the community. Um, I also work in um, locally here in, in the community, but um, my studies as an urban planner really um, have educated me basically about a lot of the dynamics, some of the things that we sort of take for granted that um, maybe are not visible to the eye of how public policy has shaped our neighborhoods. And so mm-hmm. that was also another thing that I wanted to highlight in my project. Yeah, I mean, that's that's super interesting. And I mean, talk you know, one of the things that's really interesting, too, is when you see, you know, I know we keep talking about first sip, but when you see something like that, which is such an example of a potential way to combat 
what is what can be like outside investment yeah like. you know coffee shops um really get a bad rep a lot of times um oftentimes for very good reasons as as sort of a vanguard of displacement for sure. and um coffee shops are you know the the, the the we really have to be careful because the definition of gentrification is the changing of a neighborhood to appeal to middle-class taste. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it actually does not have anything to do with race, but in Chicago, race and class are, of course, linked of co- in, in, in innumerable mm-hmm. ways. And, and coffee shops are this nexus where you have something that appeals to the middle class, very upwardly mobile, yuppie, millennial-type class um, taste level. Um, and so then you see something like First Sip and you think, oh, wow, here's a, here's a coffee shop, you know. But when you have a coffee shop that's owned by people who grew up in the neighborhood, who have ties, they, um, whose family owns businesses on the commercial corridor, um, it's very different. Um, and it's such, an, it's such an interesting case study about, and there's such an interesting, I think, possibility for an, al- an alternative example of something that can be done differently. Mm-hmm. Thought, thoughtful growth. Yeah, you know, um, development without displacement is um, sort of this catchphrase that you sometimes hear bandied about. Because um, when when we think of gentrification, oftentimes we think of housing, mm-hmm. and um, some something. Sorry, that's that, my phone. I guess <laughs> something that um, gets missed oftentimes is the is the flip side, which is commercial gentrification, mm-hmm. which is when businesses change. Um, and, you know, you may have a dollar store that goes from being a dollar store to an upscale restaurant or you have um, a local pizza joint closest to, for a coffee shop or for, um, you know, like some sort of a restaurant, you know. So, so that's, mm-hmm. that's that process that is the opposite of what we consider gentrification. And First Sip is a really interesting case study. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that space, I was talking to um, Nan and Gigi about it, who are the two owners, and they were saying that that space had been empty for years. And I think before that it had been, like maybe two years ago, it was like a gift shop Mm -hmm. or something like that. Most recently I saw it was like a video rental store. That's what it was, Mm -hmm. yeah. But before then it was a restaurant because it has such a large kitchen space. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for real. Um, But it had been vacant for years and I know that they're, um, they're, they're trying really hard to straddle that line of like you know maintaining ties to the neighborhood and they're trying to do that in their pricing um like a cup of coffee a small coffee is two dollars and twenty cents which is less than starbucks Mm -hmm. Um, it's less than um than like the name the ones that are right over in uh by us like obviously in andersonville and stuff like that. well yeah but i mean i didn't want to like outright name and be like (laughs) you're yuppie fucks but (laughs) But yeah, um, but I mean, it's it's like a very affordable cup of coffee, and mm-hmm. they're and they're trying really hard to maintain those low price points. And like that's what made coffee shops cool in the first place was that it was a place where people went to meet and to talk about like overthrowing, uh, you know, I mean, not just about overthrowing governments or not governments, you know what I'm saying. But like my point being is it's that very, it was like, like an artistic example. I don't know why I went there. <laughs> so actually um, urban plan in, in the planning sphere, we have this concept called third spaces. So you mm-hmm. have your first space, which is where you live. Your second space is where you work. And then third spaces are all the other places. And so coffee shops are these third places. They are, um, it's also like public plaza, it's libraries, it's places right. where you can go and be, and it, you're not at work and you're not at home. Um, and you can gather, and it's where, you know, the middle, middle class or people just come come together, mingle, make ideas, you know, it's where your knitting circle goes, it's where your book club meets, it's where you can have board game nights, it's, um, it's, and they're really, really important places, and the problem with, one of the many problems with gentrification is that it creates places that are not accessible to mm-hmm. people who don't have the means, um, and so, um, and part of gentrification is this, um, the way that the built environment then gets redesigned is it makes people feel uncomfortable if they don't mm. belong in a certain place. You know, if you go into a really ritzy neighborhood, you may not feel comfortable, and that's no accident. Um, if you go into a really poor neighborhood, you may also, if you're a wealthy person and you don't feel comfortable, that's also the same thing, just on the flip side. And the way that um, our neighborhoods are designed and are changed 
you know, are done in very particular ways. And so a place like First Step is really great because um, it's an alternative. It's a place to hang out. It's affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can... You can, you can literally hang out there all day. Like, we, I've had people come in, like, I've opened at 6.30 a.m., and then I'll leave at noon, and there will be that same person still there. Mm-hmm. And we don't, there's no, like, hourly, you know, you can use the Wi-Fi all day. It's very much a place oh, yeah. where you can when, buy a cup mm-hmm. of coffee, the first refill is free, and then after that it's 50 cents. It's mm-hmm. just, like, a place that we encourage people to hang out all day. And it's because that space doesn't really exist on on Argyle no, at the moment. I, I don't think so. There's, you know, unless you're doing shopping or you're eating. Um, I mean, I guess you could camp out at Tank Noodle, but even then they kind of like... They'll kick you out. They're so busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, having a small business in Chicago is particularly difficult. The way that um, our taxing works... Um, a lot of the tax burden is placed on small businesses and mm-hmm. um, they keep getting squeezed by higher property taxes and um, it's 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 a whole complicated thing so you know so it's really hard to have a business where you can sell a cup of coffee for only two dollars um, and still get by and um, you know I but every time I, I go past I do see lots of people in there so that's very encouraging it's it's great we're really it's it's going well well so I'm interested in talking about because um you know your background is such is so rich in understanding urban planning and just kind of like policy it sounds Mm -hmm. and so um it's interesting to me then to take that into the artistic space and take that into this like pop-up museum space yeah what 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 was um straddling that line between what is potentially political to something that is about like the audience you know yeah it's very interesting because um, my undergraduate is a I do have an art degree cool and so um, I'm very interested in that intersection and for me art is supposed to be political um, mm-hmm. it, if you're not challenging if you're not really saying something that is provocative or chal- you know thought-provoking then I don't really see the value of it um, and so it was very interesting because people have very specific opinions about the built environment and about their communities and me, the, the history that I presented um, often challenged a lot of preconceived notions that people have had. Um, depending on the demographics of who came up to me at the museum, I, I got very different responses. And it was very interesting because they were very clearly demarcated responses. Um, a lot of, um, you know, the, the materials that I had w- dated back to the 1800s, actually, mm-hmm. of when the streets were laid out. Um, the Argyle area turned out um, was actually founded as a model suburban town. It was called Argyle, Argyle Park in the late 1800s. Wow. And it was its own city um, that then um, was incorporated into Chicago when Lakeview Township was annexed into the city. So um, as part of the city's process for trying to get the 1893 World's Fair, because only cities of a million plus people could compete to get the 1893 World's Fair. And so Chicago just went, just ballooned by annexing all of its neighbors. Um, and one of those neighbors happened to be Argyle. And so um, then, and then, so, so, so my materials. <laughs> so yeah, subtext, Moody is in lab. And he's being so cute. <laughs> yeah. I think you try. you took your hand away and she was like, no, bring it back. <laughs> It's right here, kitty cat. So, um, so I had I had that history going back, but clearly the focus for me was the more recent history of when in the mid 1970s, 80s, and 90s you had this huge influx of Southeast Asian refugees and immigrants who came to this area and and gave it this just really incredible multi ethnic, multicultural flavor. Um, and I did not shy away from the urban renewal period in the 60s and just a mm-hmm. lot of the unsavory parts of Uptown's history. Mm. And and that's something that is really key. A lot of people who live in Uptown really celebrate its glitzy, glamorous 1920s jazz age history. And that's, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. We have That's why we have these beautiful buildings with there's so much history, but the neighborhood then had a really serious period of decline for many reasons. But um, so anyway, so the responses that I got were, they were basically along, split along several axes one of which was i any many people who were asian american or um minority folks who came up to me who had had a long history with the neighborhood they would be like oh my god this is amazing i've never seen these photos like you know when i was a child blah 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 and they were so excited they were so grateful um 
other people who were new to the area or just like, oh my God, I've never been here before. This is amazing. Like what is happening? There's so many people. It's beautiful. It's cool. It smells amazing. I've never tried Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. It and does this, smell amazing around there. I know. Um, yeah. And, um, and then the other group where I would get a lot of long time people who, uh, primarily white homeowners who have lived in the neighborhood for a long time who would, were like, oh yeah, this area used to be so rough and now it's so much better. It's kind of mm. like, I don't have, you know, I used to be afraid of getting, of, I, I used to avoid taking the L because it was so dangerous and now, you know, and so, um, it was interesting because there's this clear shift, um, you know, even though for many people gentrification is this big nasty thing it's this evil specter that threatens to displace them for many people it's a it's a good thing they see it as like oh yeah i can finally my property values are going to go up and you know and 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 that was a very interesting thing to navigate in this space so that's that's where it got a little political because um i would try to confront people about these like Mm -hmm. like it's always been safe because you know um all the folks that i know who grew up in the area they you know they're like oh this was such an amazing community as a Mm. child like we all played together and we had festivals and i missed that and and other people like totally avoided that because they thought that the area was just a slum Mm -hmm. that's so interesting so but some i i definitely got a lot of really incredible responses and i can read some of them to you that would be great um the um cool. yeah cool. i i definitely i got about a hundred responses and i had them written on post-it notes um and some and people it was interesting because at the same time um people didn't quite know how to respond even people who have lived here for years and years and years would be like oh i, I don't have any memories and i'd be like you've lived here for 25 years come on <laughs> mm-hmm. um other people would be like yeah i just got here then this and you know and they knew exactly what to say i would see people who would see my booth and they would just go sit down immediately and start writing things other people i had to talk to them for like 30 minutes to squeeze out a single sentence mm-hmm. um and luckily my partner would help me and he's a he's a professor and he has this air about him where you can't say no so (laughs) he'd just be like come write a memory and um so let me read you some of the um, let me read you some of the um responses we love this area with this event the argyle night market we hope it becomes a stronger and more upbeat area we are seeing new restaurants opening and that makes us happy we love signed a colombian couple so that's an example of somebody who's new to the area who doesn't who doesn't have like a long history with it um here's here's a very interesting example Uh, i'm glad uptown came alive again i remember my first date with my now husband in 1960 at the aragon ballroom good memories thanks oh wow so that's so cool so not all argyle specific but um um but talk about (laughs) talk about an area that people view as a slum that that especially the lawrence stop because i think um, preface with this i am a white man so like i think i should say that before but like i think that there's a difference that people almost have a different eye even to a neighborhood like the wilson stop i remember when i first moved to wilson mm-hmm. that was the like to chicago you mean to, i mean when i moved to chicago yeah no i never lived off the wilson stop um but that was the like you know, I, I went to school in the loop with, like, a bunch of, like, white 20-somethings. And so it was like, oh, you never get off at the Wilson stuff because that's where, like, the like the black people are, you know? And so it was like... And it's... It, and I mean, it was definitely not safe. It's still not safe. Um, mm-hmm. There's... I mean, there's... You know, we have to be honest and frank about the fact that there's a lot of drug activity happening in Uptown. But something that I want to mention, too, that often gets missed is that when areas gentrify there's oftentimes more drug violence and drug activity because the gangs are competing for more money Mm -hmm. and so they are fighting for turf because um it's all the wealthy people who are moving in who have the means to buy drugs right and so that's really interesting and you know we can talk all we want about the drug war but you know someone is buying the drugs and if 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 if, (laughs) yeah so yeah so you know so it's like we often we often blame like people trying to make a living um because i can talk about stagnant wages and you know the 
limited opportunities for, you know, for a lot of folks in the city, you know, bad schools, bad neighborhoods, whatever, concentrated poverty, mm-hmm. all these things multiply racism, segregation, and then it, it then sort of gets expressed in this, like, oh, well, you know, it's not safe, but... So I'm going to read you another memory. Sorry, yeah. Um, because we can be here all night. Um, <laughs> so this is an example of somebody who just, for whom this project just really mean, meant a lot. When my mom immigrated from the Philippines, Argyle was the first neighborhood she would come to whenever she felt homesick. When my dad came, they moved to an apartment off of Sheridan, close to Argyle Street. When my grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins came from the Philippines, we all came to Argyle Street for food and shopping. As an adult, I still come here for food. I go to Honky because that's where my parents took me when I was little. The owner still knows me. I also go to La Patisserie for everything. So, you know, clearly for her, she has... For her, this place means more than just, it just, mean, it, it just means more. And so really that's for whom I was doing um, these, these I, that, that's really for whom I was doing this. Um, yeah. Let me try some more. Um. Well, Daniel, what's your, what's, what, do you have a memory of Argyle? Yeah, what's your memory? Um... I don't know. That's a like. Is there a favorite restaurant? Is there? Do you have like, like? Do you remember the first time you ever saw it? I well, yeah. It was it was any time I would pass it on the red line and the smell. Mm-hmm. That was it. That that was really because that was what it was. I would always take. I took the red line for like two years straight to go downtown to school. Um, but I don't think I ever went to Asia on Argyle until. Until we lived here. No. I think I might have gone once or twice before that for like... I don't know. Now, now I don't know when I when the first time I actually like walked into Asia Well, the first time we went to Tank Noodle was actually about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was... I had a half day at the office I was working at and you came and picked me up and... I was like, we should try going to this place. Because it was like, because it was always, it was always so busy. But I was like, it's, you know, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. There's no way that it's going to be busy right now. Mm -hmm. And it always is. Well, it was actually, it was actually pretty cleared out at that point. And so we went and we, and we got the, um, the coconut curry, Mm -hmm. which is what we always still get. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we started going to Tank Noodle like a year ago. And it's. We went there last night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm so uh, another piece of this uh, that I'm kind of curious about, and and I think getting all of these uh, examples is probably a, a testament to this. Is that last story is super interesting to me in that you know um, the uh, the assumed kind of um, ethnicity of Asia and Argyle is very Vietnamese, right? Um, but it's also really interesting to me how. Uh, and and beautiful and and cool that um, it can be uh, like you know like we know a lot of folks that are uh, Filipino that uh, that don't have a you know there is no little like little Philippines in Chicago you know um, whereas there are a lot of examples of of kind of that where uh, I mean yeah just kind of. And just generally, and I'm sure there there are also Vietnamese folks that were probably in the same way. Just examples of people that came to there for that homesick. You know, it's you actually bring up a very interesting point because um, um, Filipino is not an ethnicity that is broken out in the U.S. Census. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, um, Philip. Yeah, <laughs> I had that backwards. Filipinos are what I meant to say is um, there's a it's Thai people that are not broken down. Mm, And, mm -hmm. and so um, when you look at all the different kinds of Asian restaurants, you see a lot, there's like tons and tons of Thai restaurants in Mm -hmm. Chicago. There's actually only about, they estimate about 600 people of Thai descent altogether in all of Chicago. There's actually about 35,000 Filipino people here in Chicago. Wow. And so um, there's a, a part of my master's project was, was researching how different Asian ethnicities cluster in the built environment. Um, That's okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. And um, um, for whatever reason, Filipino folks, um, because um, actually 
the reason is partially because Filipino folks have been able to come to America as more of middle class mm-hmm. than um, mm-hmm. Vietnamese people came as primarily refugees. Um, uh, and so the, the, the uh. and so there's these very great distinctions between the different socioeconomic makeups of these eth- um, ethnic minorities. And but because they all just sort of get lumped in as Asian, the sort of the, the, the it, so sometimes that gets lost. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't know what, you know, it's interesting. I always ask this question, like, why aren't there more Filipino restaurants? You know, finally, Seafood City opened, and that's a giant Filipino super grocer, supermarket. Um, but we see so many more Thai restaurants mm-hmm. than we do Filipino restaurants. Um, and and what's interesting is Vietnam, the way that the Vietnamese folks have really built Asian Argyle is also pretty unique. There's very few Vietnamese enclaves like mm-hmm. it in America. Um, many of them, although... Now, because, because, you know, it used to be that um, when people came and emigrated to America, especially from Asia, they, they ended up in sort of urban cores, Chinatowns, Koreatowns, Japantowns. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, primarily, the ports of entries today are actually suburbs. Mm. So there's many suburbs now that are called, they're called, being called ethnoburbs because they are just, they are like these vibrant multi-ethnic communities, but they're in the suburbs. Um, mm-hmm. And part of the American dream for a lot of um, immigrants, especially in the Asian sort of sphere, is is like that having a home in the in the burbs. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I With know a that... Super K. Yeah. I, I, I know that um, in... Mer- I went to school in Baltimore, and um, the suburb of Baltimore that was like the Asian mm-hmm. suburb was Ellicott City. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it, I just remember like going to Ellicott City with my friends to go to like co- to go to like Korean barbecue and mm-hmm. stuff like that and just like the the density of like Asian d- different kinds of Asian restaurants in Ellicott City was yeah crazy it is and you know and so and that's a, and that's and that's an interesting thing to look to consider because while um, so part of the thing is the reason that these enclaves chinatowns japantowns etc came about is actually because of just straight up racism um quote native hostile sentiment forced minorities into these spaces um or it was it was or it was all they could afford and so they sort of Mm -hmm. you know lived close by and so part of it is that now that asian folks experience less racism in american society they're able to travel and they have much greater choices in terms of where they're able to work and live, mm. uh, which is why so many ethnoburbs have come about that have these strong Asian um, or Indian um, characteristics in terms of the restaurants, the superstore, the supermarkets, the video rental stores, the travel agencies, and just the folks that are living there um, who are able to support that. Um, and But that presents a very interesting challenge because you do have these places like that are like Asian Argyle in um, in Uptown that are sort of fading, they're mm. because they are no longer ports of entry. Um, there is this very interesting question of what do you do with a place that is ethnic culturally but not but doesn't have the ethnic people living around it. Um, and as as they especially as they continue to gentrify, a lot of um, the Chicago's Chinatown is is very has a very particular sort of makeup about it that that protects it from a lot of the forces that are really um threatening to just basically erase this um ethnic identity Mm -hmm. of of asian argyle um it's just much older it's much bigger it's much denser it continues to be a port of entry um and those are not really true for asian argyle so part of my project too was to sort of start this conversation of like oh we have to protect this place we have to do Mm -hmm. something because if we don't it's, it's gonna go away yeah yeah and, and, and that's a very difficult question to, to tackle because um, many cities are actually facing this thing. And there's, and there's really not an easy answer because um, you want to protect this ethnic identity. But at the same time, if like, what are you protecting it for and who are you protecting it for? And, um, and like, there's always there's oftentimes this risk of basically disnifying it and turning mm-hmm. it into this sort of attraction, this, you know, this like World's Fair, this like this like thing you know you sort of package it neatly for consumption by um, american folks native folks um and so then the question then is just like like why um 
That's super... Well, it reminds me of... There's been a couple, like, Netflix shows that have addressed the idea of... Um, and this isn't entirely relevant, but the idea of... Um, uh, like, black-only dorms and colleges. Right. Where um, the idea that uh, culture should have its own space, but then it's like, you know, the the uh, administrator at the college is, like, somebody who is coming from, like, a very civil rights movement mindset where it's, like, segregation is bad, but then it's, like, well, you're a century behind. Like, it's not about that. Like, but... So that's an, an interesting... And, um... And, and that's also interesting. And, and the thing I want to say to that is a lot of times people make... People fail to understand is that, um being around white people can be really toxic for minorities. Mm-hmm. And um, when, you know, as a gay person, I experienced this in a, in a very, um, it's not the same, mm-hmm. but I, I sympathize because I'm oftentimes the only gay person in a space and in, mm-hmm. in a room, even, even in a room with, with hundreds and hundreds of people, I could be, maybe there's only one other gay person. And, you know, um, with, with, black folks and especially in college settings it can be really 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 toxic um, mm. and but it's it, it is an interesting question of like well what do you do like do we protect people from blatant racism by mm-hmm. letting them have their own space or is it better to just have them intermixed so that you know then they can sort of get along together but then mm-hmm. you run the risk of like horribly traumatizing the minority students mm-hmm. um and with um i'll give you an example um so the Chinatown in Washington, D.C., um, ha- there's no Asian people, almost no Asian people who live there. There's like two Asian restaurants. It's a very small space. It's roughly two blocks wide and four blocks long. But there's all these zoning overlays that protect it. Um, so you have you have um, Asian-themed, China-themed light posts and benches, and there's stamps in the, in the ground. And all the businesses have to have bilingual signage mm-hmm. but all the businesses are like national chains like starbucks and potbelly mm. whataburger like how do you say whataburger in chinese and mm-hmm. so yeah. they, they actually made up like things to say in mandarin that are not the name and, and so then the but then the question really is like what is this for like who is this for yeah like like you have turned this this four block space into this like really this like fantasy land and it looks it's very orientalist and and something else else that um people often that I want to talk about is when people think Chinatowns, there's a very particular notion that comes into people's heads. And that is shaped actually, it was actually invented in San Francisco in the 1930s. These two entrepreneurs decided to make Chinatown stand out. And, um, and so they added these like Orientalist flourishes with the pagoda and the dragon Mm -hmm. gates. And, and so people think that that's what Chinatown should look like. So when they come to Argyle and they are, they don't, they're like, oh, you know, it looks Asian, but like I can see this Asian businesses, but it yeah. doesn't look Asian. And some people make the mistake of wanting it to have this like really, really outdated Orientalist, very stereotypical look about it without really understanding that like modern Chinese and Asian sentiment is, I mean, they basically want things to look like an Apple store, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very clean, very minimalist, very modern, very posh. Um, so, you know, for example, when the Asian Argyle sign went up, next to the viaduct people were a lot of people were upset oh because yeah. because it it's very modern it's very sleek um and it doesn't it doesn't have those like there's not like dragons all over right. it um and um and people fail to understand that actually the business community um does not just decided on what that should look like granted the city cut a lot of corners so they could make get under budget but you know like the colors in it um they're they're like these pale neon greens and pale pinks and dark gray and the bright yellow and orange those colors were picked out to um really um um to to signify the different ethnicities that have lived in this area because mm. even though today the asian argos really um is really vietnamese um it's actually um it was actually first settled by chinese people chinese people um there was a there was a a group of Chinese entrepreneurs who saw that this area was derelict that the how the buildings were inexpensive and they decided to buy them up, and they wanted to found a new Chinatown, and so sometimes you still have the area referred to it as that, um, but then it sort of coincided with the fall of Saigon, and so then you had mm. ethnic Chinese fleeing Vietnam followed by Vietnamese Cambodian refugees following them. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
super wow. fascinating. Yeah. But actually, before it was Asian, this neighborhood was Jewish. Really? Yeah, this was an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. Wow. Yeah, so. It's, that's the, the, the like, interesting thing about the, about Chicago neighborhoods especially, like, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's just said, you know, neighborhoods are perpetually in a state of change and they're sure. always changing. Um, the issue with gentrification and with displacement is that um, people who don't have means just are always have less and less choices about where mm-hmm. they can go. And so, you know, yeah, neighborhoods change all the time. You know, people say like Pilsen, they're like, oh, well, it was a Czech neighborhood then. Now it's a Spanish neighborhood and soon it's going to be something else without really fail- understanding that people who are displaced just don't really have much place many places to go mm-hmm. that are decent that have that are safe that have good housing that have access to transit um, well and the fact and it, you know a lot of I, I think that it also removes from the equation the fact that these folks moved there and built a community for themselves exactly they mm-hmm. you know they you know, in you know Pilsen is such an interesting case where it's just like you know, there are schools there that have, you know, bilingual teachers. Mm-hmm. There are, there are churches that have, that the archdiocese have like recognized as a densely, a densely Latinx, um, Latinx community. And so they've, they've installed, you know, bilingual, you know, priests and pastors at all of these churches. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like it, these you know, while it may have been a Czech neighborhood, it's been, you know, Hispanic and Latinx for so long now mm-hmm. that like to to remove that identity from it and just be like, oh, well, say la vie. That's the way of that's just a city for you. Yeah. It what it does is is negate all of these all of these people's hard work and all of these people's experiences. And yeah, you know, and and then. And, and, yeah, and it's the same thing here in, in Argyle. Um, you had people who fled war and famine. Um, they had they had the most traumatic experiences that you can't we can't even imagine. Um, and they came here and they got de- they got degrees and they opened up businesses and they and they and they had festivals and they had and they fought for for the basic civic services of like fixing streetlights and fixing sidewalks and um, and then yeah for somebody to come along and be like well you know whatever mm-hmm. um, and and so that's why. Um, and so when I, so that's why I, I really so enjoyed my master's project research on these quote unquote ethnic enclaves. Cause they really are the, they really are the exception to sort of the default, mm-hmm. which is just like, when you think of any neighborhood, Lincoln square, Lincoln park, Ravenswood, um, you know, um, S- South loop, West loop, whatever, you know, um, West town. Um, it, and then you start to think of, um, Little Italy, Little India, mm-hmm. Argyle, Pilsen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something else that I want to mention, though, too, is um, there's this there's an interesting and very tricky distinction between neighborhoods that are populated by foreign-born minorities and p- neighborhoods that are populated by native-born minorities, a- oh. a- a.k.a. black people, um, <laughs> African-American folks. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is just how the science has made that distinction. And I think it is interesting because people, researchers have been looking at how have um, several generations of foreign-born minorities versus native-born minorities have done have fared in American society and and you know and it's and it's really tough and it's really because um, while Asian folks are able to experience less racism and move into the suburbs into op- better opportunity areas um, native-born minorities um, continue to be excluded from being able mm-hmm. to take advantage of better opportunities from one generation mm-hmm. to another and you know the foreclosure crisis actually just wiped out mm-hmm. the entire wealth of an entire generation of african-american americans mm-hmm. um and so you know as we look at different neighborhoods and how and as we compare how certain neighborhoods develop and change versus others that continue to really want and need services and things and investment and um watching where and how investment flows through the city it's really interesting and it's just it's um, really symptomatic of just American society and how mm-hmm. we view minorities in our culture. Well, and it, you know, um, you mentioned earlier uh, transit, and I think that that's also a really interesting thought too, because 
you know, as we're seeing what the how the city of Chicago wants to develop, you know, the stations that it wants to develop, mm-hmm. they, they those experiences can be a very cookie cutter experience. And then I, you know, I I think a lot a lot about like you know. Speaking about a memory of when I first went to Chicago, I remember the first two years I was here, that red line extension down south was always broken. Was always... And, you know, like, that's... You know, that's part of it, too. You mean like, past, like, Harrison? So, yeah, there was, like, a... I think it's from Harrison to, like, 95th or something like that was, um, was you had to take a bus. And, like, during the winter... So, that was really tricky, and, and that, was, that was just a very difficult thing. Um... It's, it was, it really sucked because actually what they did is instead of having the, the red line south half be shut down for three years, they decided to shut it down for, I think, just six months so they could do it quicker. Mm. So it was more painful, but it actually didn't take as much time. But but if you do look at a map of the city and where and where isn't um, rapid transit, uh, a.k.a. the L, um, mm-hmm. is very telling. And if you look yeah. at if you look at a map of where the L used to be, because there are, there's all these branches that have been demolished. And you look at where it used to be, and you're like, why did they take it out? Because now it's going to cost billions of dollars to rebuild what they demolished. Um, but but speaking of the red line, you know, because now the north line, the north side is set to be rebuilt. Granted, the viaducts here are over 100 years old, but um, Obama's parting gift to Chicago was a, um, a grant of $2 billion, and mm-hmm. um, the city had to um, put basically all of the north side into a TIF all the wealthy areas that had been excluded from being in a TIF up, up until that point were then put in a TIF so that the city could collect enough money to match the federal dollars. Um, and what is a TIF? So it's a TIF is a tax tax income financing. Mm. Is that it? Yeah. So it, it's it's. I always think of in acronyms. I don't even remember. It's For um. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no. It is a it is a very tricky funding stream what it does is you draw a box around a geographic area and then you project how much um, property taxes will increase in that area over a certain amount of time and then you skim off those property taxes based on how much growth there will be um, and so it's really problematic because it, it, it actually um, money that would go to other services then stay in that TIF area for improving that area but because it's Chicago the way that it's handled has is it's really mismanaged, um, and it's um, just it's always kind of unclear where and how that money gets spent because there's a lot there's tons and tons of tiffs around the city and there's billions of dollars sitting in this thing and and mm. the, the money that goes into a tiff does um, does not get spent in like let's say for funding public schools so yeah it's a whole thing we yeah. can have another podcast about that yeah but sure. um Sorry, yeah but in terms of um, how it affects Argyle is because the the Lauren, the, the Wilson station has just been rebuilt, but Lawrence, Argyle, Berwyn, Bryn Mawr are set to be rebuilt using the this this pool of funds, um, and so there's a lot of, of course, discussions right now happening about like what is that going to look like because this will be a massive project. Buildings mm-hmm. will have to get demolished in order for them to have a staging ground for the CTA to do this work over over three to four years. It's going to be very painful and very long and costly and this is a very high risk of just completely erasing all of this cultural diversity that the Argyle area currently experiences because you know businesses may be forced to close or we don't know of course you know a lot of people will do all they can to prevent that but it's just a risk and a lot of people are upset Mm -hmm. and anxious Um, for example between Lawrence and Argyle, there's a strip mall that's currently home to an Asian grocery store and like 12 businesses. Um, there's some rumors that the CTA will have to demolish the whole strip mall. I mean, it's like it's like two blocks long to just so that they have an, the space to rebuild the Lawrence and the Argyle stations. Mm. So what happens in the next few years will be very interesting. Um, and I think it would just be very important to try to do as much as we can to educate people about this history and to really do all we can to really, you know, try to save these businesses. Is there anything that can be done? I know that in the with Baltimore, um, that the historical preserve that historical pre- preservation was a very large part of, you know, preventing 
historical buildings and and pretty much entire neighborhoods from Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. torn down and demolished is there anything um on that end that you know that the community can appeal to like are any of these buildings like old enough that they um actually uh, so argyle is on the national register of historic places already Mm. um so what that means is is that the (laughs) cat attack is um what what is what is good about the the being on the national register of historic places is that the federal government cannot use federal funds to demolish buildings that are on that national register mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that is some protection they if they if buildings are at risk they have to go through this whole convoluted um process called section 13 and they have to review or is it section six one of those things um they have to review to make sure that the federal funds are not destroying america's historic heritage but the problem with Argyle is that its history as an Asian community is so recent there's nothing really in the built environment that can be protected Mm -hmm. the history there is is memories it's Mm. it's it's you know ephemera it's photographs it's you know having the dragon the the lion dances at the lunar new year for 30 plus years it's it's things that you can't really touch it's not and so and so the the the, the field of historic preservation currently is battling and is trying to wrap its mind around like how do you protect history that is not tangible so that's what makes it particularly tricky you know um the building can be saved but if 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 the climate is such that the Asian businesses are not able to stay open, then, you know, it's much harder to, to save that this, like, this intangible cultural heritage than it is to, you know, just to say, oh, let's save this building. Um, so, yeah. th- so that's much harder. It's, it's, it's just trickier, it, which is not to say that it's not impossible. Um, there's a lot of people who are very concerned about Argyle and they're very eager to do all they can so um but you know the 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 best thing that can really be done is to always contact your local alderman and um harry osterman whose word argyle falls into into is very keenly aware and is obviously very engaged with that community um he's been working very closely with that community when they did this recent streetscaping project Mm -hmm. they took out the water main they made it all permeable pavers um really pretty and so he worked really closely with them and so the local businesses really trust him. So I would I would hope that when this project finally happens that he is able to really lead that charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I um we've had people coming in on a pretty regular basis just like asking us um or like telling us how happy they are that we're in the neighborhood and I'm ta- in talking about first sip, sure. not scoppy. <laughs> people don't we're we're in an apartment. Um but um <laughs> But people come into First Sip all the time talking about how happy they are that we're there and, you know, basically like, basically saying like, you know, anything you need, just talk to the alderman, talk to the alderman, talk to the mm-hmm. alderman. And yeah. it's, it's so cool to see a community so focused, like who so trusts their alderman. Yeah. And, and that's not common. Um, Chicago has 50 aldermen, of course. And, um, you know, if you look at the way those dis- those boundaries are drawn you can just tell that there's a political motive behind you know how they group people but you know we're very lucky one of the many privileges on the no- living on the north side is that we have all the boundaries that make sense in terms of their they're just kind of nice boxes and H- harry Osterman in particular and his office and his staff are they're just really wonderful people i'm a big fan so and and and, but that's that's actually pretty rare so um just Mm -hmm. you know many other neighborhoods currently are experiencing the kind of changes that argyle is experiencing um and so i think that the lesson here is really that it's up to everyone to really pitch in and do what we can and it's 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 simple stuff it's shopping local at you know that random you know like you know just look around and find a business that you haven't stepped foot into and just go in and buy something um yeah you know go to a cafe or to a restaurant you've never been to or you know instead of instead of shopping for something at target or walmart you know think of you know find a grocery um a hardware store or like um you know like a hardware store or something like that and get your stuff locally that's really that's really the best thing that you can do mm-hmm. yeah. cool well uh we have a few minutes left 
Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. That can also be um, kind of like a shout out space for like folks that you want to shout out that you think are doing dope work. Um, and also we love hearing about self care stuff like um, TV shows you're watching, maybe like movies, books, music you're listening to, stuff like that. Oh, well, um, I guess in terms of things that are happening, um, you know, keep an eye out. Um, the Argyle Lunar New Year Parade will be happening on February 28th. That's, I'm sorry, February 24th. Um, that's still a ways away, but um, that would be, a, that's like an ideal way to experience Argyle for anyone who has not really ever been to Argyle. Um, it's going to be freezing cold, but it's going to be super fun. There'll be fireworks and lion dancing and music and um, floats. Um, and it's just a really, really warm and fuzzy thing to see come together. Um, and and um, in the summer, there'll be tons of events on our girls. So, you know, make sure to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. We have new articles going up all the time. In fact, our most recent article is about first sips. That was pretty exciting. I wrote, found a bunch of their press materials and stuff, and Maureen had taken a couple photos. And um, yeah, support that business. It is. It really deserves it. Um, it pays my rent. <laughs> well, not just for that reason, you know. Um, but, 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 uh, um, otherwise, you can keep up with us on all of the social media places, uh, in all of them, rather. Um, on Facebook, for example, we are under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, Radio Public, and iTunes Podcasts, you can find us under Scopy Mag, and we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, and head to our donate section. There are a couple ways that you can give. First is that you can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things would happen. First of all, our next two donors at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. At $5 a month, you're going to get a shout-out on the show. And above that, we're still trying to retool those um, levels of giving. But if you're interested in supporting our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media on a higher level, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, we have advertising opportunities available that we'd love to talk about. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>